Acts chapter number 18 and verse number 5. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was, notice, pressed in in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Messiah, that he was the promised one. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment, his clothing, and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from henceforth. I will go unto the Gentiles. So this was a pivotal point for him, really the rejection of the Jews and his, his uh, fulfillment of his calling to go to the Gentiles and bring the gospel to them. And uh, every one of us should be thankful for that, by the way. Uh, most all of you, I believe, are Gentiles here today. And I'm thankful for the gospel coming to the Gentiles. Verse number 7, And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his house. So there's a, a Jewish individual that came out of his religion and came to Jesus Christ. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. And God's people said, Amen. The gospel works every time it's used. And so, verse number 9, And they then spake the Lord to Paul in, a, in the night by a vision, saying, believe, um, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. Why? For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. Let's say that last phrase out loud together. For I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them, among the Corinthians. And when Galileo was deputy, uh, the deputy of Archaea, uh, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. And Paul was now about to open his mouth, Galileo said unto the Jews, if this were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, so in other words of semantics and then of your law, he goes on to say, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drave them from the judgment seat, from that area. Then all the Greeks, all the Greeks, notice this, all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, probably the one that took Crispus's place, and beat him before the judgment seat, and Gallio cared for none of those things. All right, we're going to learn some fascinating lessons together, so let's pray and ask God to help us. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to gather as your people in this place, and we don't take it lightly. Uh, Thank you for the safety that you've given many in just traveling back and forth and uh, the good time at Thanksgiving. And Lord, we thank you for just the the time to set aside a, a day to give thanks to you and to be reminded of that. Thank you for your love for us today. Thank you that uh, you love us with an everlasting love that's not fickle in any way. It's, it's total, it's complete, it is, it is always there, it's constant. And we are grateful for that today. And we ask that you would help us to grow in our love to you because of your love to us. 
Even as we learn from this passage of Scripture, I pray that you grow us in our faith. And may we catch a fresh vision from you. Lord, I have no doubt many in this room need just a fresh glimpse of your, your perspective, your, your vision for our lives, for our purpose here on earth. And I pray that you give it to us this morning um, by your love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing. So, last time we were together in the book of Acts, uh, Paul has come into Corinth. He is without his two sidekicks, uh, Silas and Timotheus. They're up in Macedonia in the Thessalonica area. They're still up there. They're dealing with things up there because really Paul had to be on the move. And, and it's likely that they were left there to kind of care for matters and make sure that things, uh, things were getting in place for the churches as they were getting organized and new believers were getting organized and so on. So he's there in Corinth at the outset and he finds two individuals that are really helpers. God pro providentially brings them across the path of Aquila and Priscilla. Later on over in the book of Romans, we find that Paul notes them as his helpers in Christ. Those that just were there, they, were, uh, they, they worked a job, they were tent makers together, but they were just there, spiritually they're engaged, they were engaged uh, as they helped Paul with, the, with the, uh, the tent making to make a living there and uh, to supply for his needs. And so he has these, these helpers, and as he's doing that every weekend, every Saturday, every Sabbath day, on the Jewish day of worship, uh, Paul and, and likely Aquila and Priscilla would go over to the to the synagogue or around the synagogue, and Paul would just plant seeds of the gospel. The Bible says that he would start conversations. He would broach the subject of Jesus Christ, and he would just encourage them and exhort them, hey, you ought to think about Jesus Christ, and you ought to think about this man that came and died on the cross and rose again three days later, and he would just start these conversations planting the seeds but not pressing any further. And so he did this for some time. The Bible doesn't say how long he did it, but he did this for some time, and he had this, this working relationship. He lived with Aquila and Priscilla. They worked together throughout the week, making the tents and then um, planting the seeds uh, throughout, um, throughout the, the week, but especially on the weekend on the Jewish day of worship. And so we come to verse number five, and finally, Silas and Timotheus meet up. Now, I'm trying to think because they knew that he went down to Athens. Remember, the believers there in Athens were sent back up, to, uh, to Macedonia to say, hey, Silas and Timotheus, make sure you get down to Athens with Paul. Uh, come and um, bring some stuff down for him and make sure you come down to, uh, to meet him in Athens. And so I wonder, as they got to Athens, they're like, where did he go now? Where did he go now? And so they're having to go another 50 miles over to, uh, to Corinth and to land there and begin helping them there. So they, they've come, verse number five, they've come. And as they come, God is just working in Paul's heart. And it's almost like, it really is not Paul as much as an overwhelming urge of the Holy Spirit. Hey, this is now time to take a bold step forward to declare the gospel in this city and to, uh, to harvest some of these seeds that you've been planting over the last, last uh, months. Just remember this, that no matter what season of life that you're in, God is working. God is working, and he's working for a specific purpose. We might not see the harvest right now, but this might be a time of planting. You might be planting seeds in your neighbors right now, but down the road in another six months, in another, uh, at a time when they go through a crisis, might be the time that God allows you to harvest that seed. 
Just remember, God is always working. And it might be a, a slow time. It might be a time where you say, I don't know if God's working. And Paul might have been able to say that. I don't know where you're working, Lord. I'm working here. I'm doing tent making. I'm trying to, to balance all this. I don't know that you're working, yet God was working. And even, I want to say this, even Crispus coming to the, to the Lord was probably uh, a result of the seeds that were being planted and the questions that were being asked over and over on the Sabbath days. There is Paul just encouraged them in the right way. So what happens as uh, as Timotheus and Silas come into Corinth. What happens in verse number five? I want you to know this, that Paul became engrossed in the gospel ministry and gospel witness. He threw himself at it. In fact, the word pressed has the idea to be engrossed, to be preoccupied, to be seized by something. So this is God working in his heart, and it says he was pressed in the spirit. So in his heart, there was a burden that welled up within him. I must do this now. I know I must do this now. You know what I'm talking about when God says, hey, uh, I want you to witness to this person right now. And in your heart, you, I can't get away from it. You walk away from the situation, and you might even walk back. Oh, I better just follow through on this because you're being pressed in the spirit. That's exactly what happened with the apostle Paul. The Holy Spirit pressed him in his spirit, in his inner man, and said, this is the time. And what did he do next? Look at it in verse number five, and testified to the Jews. Let's say that together. And testified to the Jews, what? That Jesus was the Christ. So he expressed with speech. He began to declare. He wasn't just living there and letting them see his example. He was doing that, but he began to declare the gospel, to declare Jesus Christ the Messiah, the one who came into the world to save men from sinners, and so uh, uh, save men from their sin. And so this is what was going on. He was uh, becoming engrossed in the ministry. Now, I want you to notice some practical elements that were going on here. Because how was it that we see that Paul was just throwing himself into this? I want you to notice in verse number five, he was practically enabled. He was practically enabled. Up until this point, he's, he, is, he is there working. He, is, he, has, his, he has his teammates uh, Quill and Priscilla, no doubt they needed continued discipleship as they went along with the Apostle Paul, but he, they were someone that, that, they were companions, they were helpers in Christ, they, their hearts were fully there, but nothing was quite the same without his, his preacher buddies, without his, his teammates, his, the guys that he was working with and, and carrying out the ministry together with. They, they had become a team, they had been through some hard times together, especially there in, in Philippi as, as Paul and Silas sang at night in the jail and saw God uh, uh, shake, the, uh, shake the jail and, and bring, uh, bring salvation to the, uh, the prison keeper. And so they've been through some really difficult times together, and now they're together again. And so I want you to notice how they were practically, um, Paul was practically enabled to go further in the ministry. And so think about it. First of all, the, this idea of, of the ministry team was now back together. There is something to be said for a ministry team. There's something to be said for, for a, a, a group of people whose hearts are knit together uh, in the same work for the same purpose. There's something to be said about that. There's something to be said about uh, a, a pastor having a, a team, someone he, um, they can uh, knit hearts together with, and they're two by two, as Jesus says in Luke chapter 10 and verse number one. He sent them out. Everywhere that Jesus wanted to go, he sent his disciples, the 70 out, two by two ahead of him to prepare the way and to preach the gospel in those cities. And I find that Paul especially had a, a kindred spirit with Timotheus in Philippians 2 and verse number 19. He's recounting uh, to them his heart towards Timothy, and he says this. He says, for I have no man like-minded. Did you catch that? I have no man like-minded. 
like-minded. We think the same. We have the same goal. We have unity in our hearts. We're not, we're not uh, for each other um, publicly and against each other behind the scenes. We, are, we, are, we're, we have a like mind. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. What was Paul saying? Timothy and his heart possesses the same care I have for you. And so I can send them to you to minister to you, knowing that it's not going to be, not going to be done in a way that, that does not please the Lord or not going to be done in a way that is contrary to, uh, to uh, scriptural principles. I know that what he's going to do, he's going to throw himself into it just as if I was there. You're going to get the same care from Timothy as you'd get from me. We have a blended heart. And so the ministry team is back together. Silas and Timotheus are back with Paul, and they're working together. What, a, what an encouragement. But also uh, notice that as they came down, the Bible says, and we touched on this the last time, so I won't spend much time here, but 2 Corinthians 11 and verse number 9 and he said, when I was present with you, talking to the Corinthians, and wanted, I, I was lacking, I, I, was, uh, I, I didn't have all that I needed, I was chargeable to no man, I didn't, I didn't place a charge on any, any man, for that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. The brethren that came down from Macedonia supplied, and in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. And Paul notes the fact that when they came down, they were bearing an offering from the churches up there that had so loved what the Apostle Paul was doing and so were encouraged, similar to what we've just talked about this morning. You so loved the missionaries that you said, I'm going to send them an offering. I'm going to give this much. And everyone collectively gave so that it was a, a, a bigger blessing. And, and it was the same idea. They sent that down to the Apostle Paul so that he could completely focus on the ministry. They had no idea all of his needs, but God did. But God did. And God moved on their hearts. And so uh, the needs of the Apostle Paul was met. So there was ministry, not only ministry team there as a practical element, there was ministry funding so that it seems here that he moved from his tent making and fully vested in uh, the preaching of the gospel. He totally engrossed in the preaching of the gospel and so that his financial responsibilities would be met as he carried out the ministry there in Corinth. But notice then also there was ministry encouragement because as they came, they didn't just bring themselves and bring um, some financial funding to the Apostle Paul, but they bring uh, good tidings. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse number 6, but now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought good tidings of your faith and charity, and ye, and that ye have a good remembrance of us always desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you, notice what Paul says, therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith, for now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. We are just, we are just enlivened. We are refreshed in our spirits because of what we heard about what's going on in your faith and your charity towards one another and your care about us, your concern. Hey, how's the Apostle Paul doing down there? I really wish he could come back up and see us. We want him to come back. So that was the spirit of those up in Macedonia and Timotheus and Silas bring this tidings down. Well, you talk about good news from a far country. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that it's like a cold glass of water. And so Paul was refreshed. And you can see how these practical encouragements, these practical enablements would empower Paul on a practical human level 
to say, you know what, now's the time. I'm encouraged. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to communicate the gospel. And, and friends, don't underestimate your practical enablement to somebody else in the body of Christ to be what they need to be for God, to fulfill their calling, your word, your simple statement to them. Hey, I, I'm praying for you. Hey, could we get together? Uh, here's something for you. I, I, I know that you're going through a needy time, and you just encourage them along. That's what happened to the Apostle Paul. Some practical enablements, but notice how he publicly engaged in verse 5 and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ, was Christ. He was the Messiah, the promised one. And so he began to preach. He publicly engaged. He's not just, you know, uh, not just broaching conversations now. He is now declaring openly, declaring loudly and openly as a preacher of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's declaring to the Jews, you must receive the Messiah. It's time now to make a decision. Today is the day of salvation, as Paul says in another part of his epistles. And so, wouldn't you know it, the Jews reject. In verse number six, we find that they, they blaspheme. And did you notice what it says there in the first part of that verse? Then they that oppose themselves. Do you know that when you and I or anyone rejects the word of God, they're actually opposing themselves? We think they're opposing us, but they're opposing themselves. They're hurting themselves. And friends, when someone rejects the word of God, whether it be a believer rejecting the word of God and what God is trying to do in their life, or whether it be an unsaved believer, uh, an unsaved um, person uh, rejecting the gospel, we should have pity. Our hearts should be moved with compassion. God help them. They're opposing themselves. In fact, in other places in, the, in Scripture, the Bible talks about believers who oppose themselves, and the pastor's responsibility is to instruct and encourage and, and, and to really go after and put the arm around and say, and continue to instruct. So Paul told Timothy in the pastoral epistles, he says, hey, make sure you're preaching the word. Be in season and out of season. Why? Because there are those that are opposing themselves, and you have to um, put in front of them. You have to remind them the truth so they, they will stop doing that. They repent of that. And so these were opposed themselves they were blaspheming blaspheming they were they were cursing and and this was their response to the gospel of the lord jesus christ that he was the messiah and so what did paul do he says i i'm done you, your blood is on your own heads what was paul doing he in that passage he shakes his raiment he shakes the dust off his raiment just a it was sort of a uh, a uh, a cultural thing that kind of it, it kind of it was an open signification that we're done this is on you now I've done my best. I can do no more. It's on you now. And so he, he shakes the dust off of his raiment, and he moves on. And what does he say? I'm going to go to the Gentiles now. And your blood be on your own, uh, on your own heads. Now, here's something interesting. Uh, in our starting points class, uh, I always teach those that are coming in uh, about Baptist distinctives. Not only our doctrine, but what makes us a Baptist. Why are we Baptist? One of the... One of the uh, principles or one of the things that we believe as Baptists is individual soul liberty. Every person is responsible before God for their response to God. So we cannot force a person to receive Jesus Christ. We can only offer Jesus Christ to them. So we are not a religion of the sword. You believe or you die. You can think of some, uh, some of those even back, we were talking, in, in, again, in, in teen Sunday school a little bit about the Reformation. Back in the Reformation, the Catholic, uh, the Catholic Church excommunicated, killed, put people to death who did not follow their, their doctrine. And that was back in the, you know, around the 1500s and, and so on. That, that, that was their, their mode of operation. That's how they dealt with those that did not believe. It was a forced, it was a forced belief. We believe, and 
and partly in distinction from, uh, from the Catholic Church, we believe in individual soul liberty, which is taught in Scripture, whosoever will may come, you have been made with a free will, you have to make the choice. And so that's exemplified here. What does he do? He doesn't force them, but he reminds them the decision was theirs, and they have now rejected it, and now I'm going to the Gentiles. And so we believe in individual soul liberty, individual responsibility before God. And by the way, um, that same concept comes across right here in this auditorium, not only to the unbelievers, but the same concept comes to you as a believer. If I am doing my job, and if any preacher who stands behind this pulpit is doing their job, the, the preaching of truth, the declaration of truth, is given then it is your responsibility what you do with it. A pastor cannot coerce you. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24, we do not, we're not lording over your faith. We don't rule over your faith. By faith, you stand. You stand before God. So you have a personal decision every time we open up the word of God. What am I going to do with this? You will be responsible to God for what you hear. And uh, sometimes people come to a pastor and they're like, well, why didn't, why didn't they get them to do this? I wish sometimes that I could cause people to do something that they ought to do, but that's not in the pastor's power. It is your choice before God. And so we see this here. Paul is, is simply saying, hey, uh, I've, I've given you the truth. Now you're responsible for it. And now you are going to have to make your own decision, but I am going to the Gentiles. And so he goes to the Gentiles. In fact, he just, the closed door there at the synagogue <laughs> became very hostile. The closed door there at the synagogue led to an open door somewhere else. And I want you to think about that. Every closed door for us as believers when we're witnessing is, it, it leads to an open door. There's somewhere, someone has a heart to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he departed thence. He goes right next door. Don't you find that funny? I do. I, I just find it intriguing. He goes right next door, and there's a man who worships God. Now, I'm sure that Paul had to correct him and give him, uh, 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 lead him along in his faith, but there's a man who was worshiping God. His name was uh, Justice, and his, his house was joined hard. It was right on the property, right next to the property of the synagogue, maybe even shared a wall. I don't know. But the fact is, it was joined hard to the synagogue. Is right next door. He goes there, and God meets him there in that house. Now, that's an amazing thing. God had an open door for Paul. Sometimes we get so focused and fixated and hurt by the closed doors that we can't see the open doors. And friends, we have to be careful about that because they're not opposing us, they're opposing him. When they oppose him, let's move on, find the person that's ready to receive him. And so he goes there, and what happens? Crispus gets saved. I don't know if he follows Paul out of the synagogue, and he, he goes over there. I don't know. I'm kind of interested in what he has to say. And, but he gets saved there at that meeting. He gets saved. The, the administrator of the synagogue comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. You know, that's, that's a powerful thing that just happened there. But notice it didn't just stop there because there were more that got saved. It seemed that Crispus's salvation and turning to God helped some of the Corinthians to say, hey, we're getting on board too. We're going to believe in him. And so many of the Corinthians believed right there in that house of justice, though it was small, though it was not full of the, all the, the glitz of the, the Jewish uh, faith and its worship in the synagogue and had all of its traditions and, and, and its nice clothing and all those things, all the trappings of the Jewish religion. It was in a humble house that God met there with Paul as he preached the gospel. Christmas comes to the Lord, a Jew who is 
died in the wool Jew. He was so much a devout Jew that he was the leader of the synagogue. He comes to God, and many Corinthians turn from their wickedness and come to God. And so here's an amazing thing to me, the ineffectiveness of religion. We see it all over. People are preoccupied with traditions. I hear people say, I just can't leave my church because it's been my family's church. I can't leave my church because uh, you guys don't really have the traditions, you know, the, the robes and, the, and the, the liturgy and all these things. I can't leave my church because I can't leave the tradition. Crispus left it all. Why? Because he was empty inside. Every Sabbath, he would go to the synagogue and, and he would walk away from that, not knowing his sins were forgiven and not knowing that, that he, was, he was right with God. He was constantly working for his salvation. And it was here in this house of justice that he finally discovered God gave him the gift through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And what an amazing thing. So, you know, as you encourage people, even in, in this time of year, uh, don't stay with empty religion. I was talking to somebody witnessing to them uh, back in September, and uh, they, they told me something along that line that I just can't, I can't leave it. My family's been there. And I said, hey, you believe that Jesus Christ is the most important person, don't you? And, uh, and we talked a little bit about that, and I said, so don't think of it as leaving your religion, leaving your church. Think of it as following Jesus Christ. Because he was done with his church, but he wasn't willing to, um, to leave his church because of all the tradition, and this is my family's church, and so on. So what did Crispus do? He left all of that for Jesus Christ. Don't stay in uh, an empty religion. It will offer you nothing in this life and certainly nothing in the next. It will offer you hell in the next life. And I mean that in the true sense of of the, the lake of fire. It will offer you all of that. It will give you, it will deliver on that in the, next, in, in, in the next. And so he left that and he follows on Jesus. The Bible says in Galatians 2 and verse 16, knowing that no man is justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified, made right by the faith of Christ and not by works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And Crispus came to that understanding. Finally, Finally understood the, the law is only a schoolmaster that leads me to Jesus Christ. It isn't what saves me. And so he finally receives that. Many Corinthians are coming to the Lord. And uh, I have no doubt that Crispus's salvation was a result of Paul steadily planting the seed. Sometimes we don't know who God's working in. We don't know what a word of witness to someone even in, in a key place of authority or leadership. What, what your testimony, what your word of witness will do to that person. And we continue to faithfully plant the word. That's why it's so important. Don't leave conversations with unsaved people without bringing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving a word. Giving a word of testimony. Giving a word from scripture. Constantly planting the seed. You never know when that will come around. Uh, and so we want to we make sure that we're doing that. Crispus's salvation also just seemed to really encourage the Corinthians. And so uh, they're, they're com- uh, coming on board. And that's interesting. Notice in the last, um, the last uh, part of that verse there. In, uh, in Acts 18, and I'm trying to find my place here for a moment, uh, in verse number 8, and it says this, and the Corinthians hearing believed, and I want you to read those last, um, last three words with me, and were baptized, okay? So just, again, uh, the Bible underscores over and over for us that baptism always follows salvation. It always follows, it comes after salvation. Why? And this is, again, back to the Reformation uh, the, the Catholic Church would baptize a, a baby at birth. 
and believing that that placed them into the church. Well, they didn't have a decision on that. They get that even. They try to go to Acts chapter 16 and say, well, look, all of all the Philippian jailer's house was baptized. There certainly was babies there, so uh, that means that uh, baby baptism, they have some other, other places, but they, they, they baptize at birth. When, when the Baptists, the Baptists have always believed, and those that maybe not always have been called Baptists, but have held this doctrine, is that baptism always followed salvation, because that's what Jesus taught. It always came after salvation. It was an outward declaration of an inward decision. It was, I have decided to follow Jesus. And so it did not add to your, your salvation, did not make you saved. It was simply an outward testimony saying, I have decided to follow Jesus, and we're commanded to do that. And so uh, baptism always followed, always followed belief. Now, uh, just an interesting little tidbit for you. Uh, the, the Baptist, as we went through the Reformation time, we did not come out of the Catholic Church. All right, I really want you to understand that. We did not come from the Catholic Church. There's always been a, a core of people uh, under different names uh, that have believed biblical doctrine, salvation by grace through faith, uh, believer's baptism. But at that time, now, who did come out of the Catholic Church was the Protestants. They protested, and their main thing was salvation was by grace, which we, uh, by grace through faith, which we say amen to. They came with a lot of the trappings, but that's the Protestants. So a lot of times we get grouped into the Protestants. I'm not a Protestant. I'm not a protester. I did not come out of the Catholic Church. I never believed that, and then like, oh, you know, all right. No, uh, we did not come out. So we as a, a church, we are a Baptist church. Our forefathers, some of them were, were named Anabaptists. Anabaptist means to baptize again. Uh, so the Catholic Church called them that as a derogatory uh, uh, comment. Uh, saying, hey, you are those that baptize again. And many people died, were, were executed for that very thing when they would rebaptize, when a person would come to Jesus Christ and then get rebaptized. And so a lot of that, a lot of that happened in a very interesting time back in, back in the Reformation time, but a lot of that happened. So uh, there has always been this biblical understanding, going back to the early church, baptism always follows after belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, that's what we still practice to this, to this day because Jesus taught us to. And so uh, even in that vein, I just uh, say to you, and if you've not yet been baptized, I'd encourage you to be baptized. Uh, it's a biblical thing. And friends, I have seen, I have seen people stunt their, their, their relationship with Christ because they're not willing to be public with it. And uh, grateful uh, in, uh, in January, the first Sunday of January, we'll have a baptism Sunday. If you need to be baptized, I encourage you to be baptized and follow the Lord in that, in that way. And so Paul was engrossed in the gospel ministry. He was practically enabled, publicly engaged. He's getting involved and, and really, really seeing the Lord work. But I also want you to notice he was encouraged with fresh vision from God. There evidently was a struggle going on in Paul's heart. And I don't know all the ins and outs of that struggle, but it, it did have a lot to do with fear. And so the Holy Spirit at, at nighttime came to him. And uh, lest you, you, you go to bed tonight and you think, I'm, gonna, I'm going to hope that I get a fresh vision from God. That is not what I'm preaching here on today. Uh, it, this fresh vision, this was the word of the Lord coming to him. Remember, he did not have the word of God. We do. And the Holy Spirit living within you takes the word of God and opens it up to you. And we might call that, when the Lord opens that up, you might say, God just gave me vision or God gave me direction. He gave me enlightenment for the way forward. 
But Paul's at a different time. This is a trend of this, the time in the book of Acts had a transitional sense to it. There was a transition going on. The word of God was being written down. So here Paul is being encouraged with the word of God. And by the way, this same word of God that came to Paul that night is coming to you today. And God intends for you to have what we could call fresh vision or just a fresh realization of what God wants to do. And so Paul was encouraged with fresh uh, vision from God. And the struggle that was going on in his heart is noted in verse number nine. Look at it. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision saying, you say it with me, be not afraid. One more time, be not afraid. Why did God have to command Paul not to be afraid? Hold up. There was a bunch of uh, uh, Corinthians and Crispus came to the Lord. I mean, this is an exciting time in, the, in the, the city of Corinth. People were getting saved and getting baptized, an exciting time. You know that anytime God's working, Satan is lurking, right? Right around the corner. And I can guarantee you that there were some Jewish individuals that hated Jesus Christ who weren't too happy about Crispus coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can imagine there's some, there's some brewing things. And I can imagine there's some people down at the bars and in the, uh, in the temples and, 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 and some people around the city of Corinth that used to um, practice abominable deeds and, and used to do things that were contrary to God that weren't so happy that they lost some friends to this new way called Christianity. I can imagine. So there was fear that was creeping up in Paul's heart. In fact, Paul says that to the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 3. He actually, he actually describes it in detail what he was feeling while he was there. And he says this, and I was with you in weakness. I was at a weak point in my life. I was at a, a point where I was really struggling. And in fear and in much trembling much trembling. Wait a minute, this is the Apostle Paul. He's always supposed to be on top, and everything's supposed to be great with the Apostle Paul, always to be optimistic, always seeing what God's going to do, and, and just going in and charging, uh, charging the, the gates of hell with a squirt gun, after, as, it, as it were. Just God's going to work, and I know he's going to work, and he's just on top. Super Paul, super apostle. No. You know, pastors, missionaries, the missionaries that are going to receive that offering, some of them are going through hard times where they're they're quaking in fear. And they're not going to write that in their prayer letter. Right? Because people don't blab that out. But in the recesses of their heart, they're struggling. An evangelist, a missionary, a pastor, they're all susceptible to fear. Paul just shows us this. And so what does God do? Paul, don't be afraid. Well, so that's just going to solve it right? Uh, we can preach all day long. Don't be afraid. What did God do? God goes further. And there's a lot packed into this, this vision that Paul, Paul received of God, this, this fresh realization. And uh, I want you to notice, he says, he says, don't be afraid. That's a command. And that's a command we have to follow. You know what fear is? It's anxiety, apprehension. There's a lot of things today, and I realize there's some medical issues that, that that have to be dealt with, some imbalances that might even come into our bodies just because we live in a broken down world. There's some imbalances that have to be cared for physically. But friends, there's a lot of anxiety and apprehension and even anxiety attacks that, that, that God can and will solve with his word and by his Holy Spirit and with the fellowship of believers. And I believe that with all my heart. 
And friends, well, there might have to be some medical intervention. Our world is, because it's rejecting God, all of our focus is on that. Well, it's only medical. Just take a pill. No, God came to Paul and said, no, don't take a pill. I'm not telling you to go home and throw your pills in the, in the garbage can. I'm not, I'm, not telling, I'm not telling you that. You did not hear that from me. But I am telling you, make sure that you're looking to God. God is the answer to anxiety. And all the apprehension. You might have some apprehension going into this next week, and you, your heart is a storm right now. God has the ability to care for that. And so he comes to Paul and says, don't be afraid. Okay, so why? Why should I not be afraid? I don't know, if, if I were in this situation, facing this, knowing the next day I might be facing some really difficult circumstances, I'm already weak in my flesh, I'm already tired out, I'm already worn out, and, and, and I'm, I'm hearing God tell me, don't be afraid. Why? Well, what does he say? He says, but speak and hold not thy peace. I didn't want to hear that right? Because that's just going to bring on more trouble. And so I want you to notice that God gave Paul a fresh vision of his plan, of his plan. What's God's plan for Paul in the city? Preach, declare, keep preaching the word, be instant in season and out of season, continue to lift up the gospel, preach on the word of God, and don't back down. Make this your everyday active, active activity of what you're doing in the city of Corinth, continue to preach the gospel. This is Paul's command. To not do so would have been for him to disobey God. And he says, to add on to it, don't hold your peace. Don't muzzle yourself, Paul. Don't hold back in any way. Don't be silent. Be vocal. Make sure that you are willfully, uh, you are choosing to, um, to speak out the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to these folks. You know, God's plan for us is still the same today. Would you receive a fresh vision, just a fresh realization that God's plan for you today is to speak up, to declare the gospel, to speak for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to speak up? Friends, the importance of this cannot be understated. God does not intend for you and I to go through this Christmas season when this world is fastly running away from that whole idea of Christmas and for us to to go through this Christmas season and to not speak up for his name. I don't believe it's God's will for any of us to go through this this next month and not speak the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to someone who needs it. I don't believe that's the case. And if we get to the end, we probably ought to find an altar somewhere and repent before God because we've been delinquent servants. So Paul had to be told to speak up. In fact, over in Ephesians, Paul, Paul even asked for prayer that he would speak as he ought to speak. When God gave the opportunity that he speak when he, uh, as he ought to speak. And it, it tells me that Paul faced the same thing I face sometimes. There's days that I don't know if I want to speak to that person. They look pretty mean or I don't know if they'll listen to me. And God says, speak up, Paul. Don't hold your peace. But notice also what, what God tells um, Paul to do or gives him a, a fresh vision of it. He says in verse number 10, read those, that first phrase out loud with me. For I am with thee. So he says, I, don't be afraid. There's a command. Speak up. That's just going to add to the fear because there's going to be more turmoil that comes from him speaking up. But then he says, listen, Paul, I want you to know I am. Not I will be. I was. But I am right now. I am with thee right here in Corinth. Right in this city that is so abominable before God. I am with you in this very dark place. I am with you. I am there with you. 
Last night I was putting some touches on this, this message and um, I heard a cry, it was after the kids had gone to bed and it was later on and I heard a cry and uh, the cry was first for mommy. I didn't want mommy to have to get out of bed so I ran to the, uh, to the little girl's bedroom and, uh, and um, Savannah was just crying and, and carrying on and she was crying and she, she wasn't going to be consoled. I said, but you know what, mommy's asleep, come with daddy. And uh, so I brought her out, and she sat with me while I, uh, while I finished this, but she was, she was all disturbed. And I asked her, I said, did you have a dream? She said, yeah, I have a dream. Well, I was sitting there. I was coming to th- on through this part of the message, and I just thought, you know, this is just so illustrative of, of the, the fact. Look at the smile on her face. She wasn't smiling about 10 minutes earlier. Uh, it's so illustrative of the fact that, that daddy is here or mommy is here is a very powerful statement to a child. And all God is saying to his child, Paul, your father's here. Your father's here. What can they do to you? David found that out in the Psalms. I will not fear what man can do to me. Why? Because God's with me. He's here. Daddy's here. He's here. And Paul was just being reassured with this remembrance of, of God's presence in his life yes there in in corinth and so the bible tells us even when uh when jesus gave us the great commission he says and lo i'm with you always hey you can do this why because i'm with you i'm with you daddy is here and so with god's presence comes god's promised protection notice and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee no man is going to come out and 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 uh, create a stir against thee or create uh, assail thee or attack you or ambush you. No man's going to be able to do that. Why? Because I am there with you. I am there with you. I'm reminded of the book of Job, when Job 1.12, when, when God finally allowed Satan to bring all the, all the wickedness that he had intended against uh, uh, Job uh, to bear against him. He says, you can do all that. You can do some stuff to his family, his livelihood, but he says, upon, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. You can't touch his life. With God's presence comes his protection. And uh, if God allows a person to pass on, to die, uh, it's the ultimate protection to be in his presence. But friends, I'm, I'm telling you, Paul was being encouraged by the simple fact, daddy is here, your father is here, and no man's going to hurt you. No man's going to set on you. No man's going to attack you. And so he goes on as he encourages him with this, this fresh realization. He gives him his perspective, God's perspective. The perspective you and I need today on our lives is not another person's perspective, not my perspective, but God's perspective. Do you believe that today? We need God's perspective on our situation. We need God's, I need God's perspective on our church family. I need God's perspective on my family. I need God's perspective on our community. You do too. God's perspective. By the way, God's perspective of our church family uh, is, is, is an incredibly loving perspective. And God is working in all of our hearts trying to bring us uh, in, in, in unity with the Lord Jesus Christ and shaping us and molding us to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. So we always need God's perspective, and Paul was getting that. And notice what he says there in verse number 10, that last phrase. Let's say it out loud again on together. For I have much people in this city. For I have much people. Much people. Now, here's a city that is entrenched in paganism, right? There's all sorts of paganism. There is abominable deeds, including the sin of homosexuality. Uh, there is prostitution. 
there is just unbelievable wickedness going on in the city. And, and God's, God's concern was not highlighting all of that, though it, it was there, it's all in the open. He, he says this, he, he gets right to the end. He says, I have much people. There are going to be many people who will believe. There are going to be many people who come out of those lifestyles, come out of their sinfulness, and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. We all needed to know that. And so we might ask, could God build a, a church there in Corinth under the, under the, the shadows of the temple of Apollo and the, uh, the temple of Venus and all these different temples that were there? Could God actually build, could Jesus build a church there too? Yeah, I have much people in the city. And friends, we need to remember many times in our minds we say, there's no one. There's no one. There's no one in my workplace. There's no one in my neighborhood. There's no one in my family who wants to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no one. And God is saying, no, no, no. You don't see the ready hearts. You don't see the questioning soul. I have much people. I have many people who are ready to come to me. And they need a word of witness as you step out in faith and obey. What a fresh realization. What a fresh vision that Paul has just received. God's plan, speak up, Paul. God's presence, I'm with you. Daddy's here. God's, uh, God, God's, uh, uh, his purpose for Paul, his, his, his perspective is, I have so many people in the city that are going to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to go forward, and God sees the hearts that are ready. So Paul's engrossed in this, this mission. He is, he is taking it on. There's fears that come. God's encouraging him. Isn't that a blessing? God will encourage you in the work, but we have to keep on taking the steps of faith. We have to stay faithful to him. He will encourage us as we need encouragement. But then notice he experienced the promise of God. Because what God had promised to him in verse uh, 9 and 10, God fulfills in the rest of this, this passage of scripture. And so notice this with me. And he continued there a year and six months. So he continued there a year and a half. Doesn't seem like long, but it was, it was long enough to do the will of God in that city. So he's there, and he is, he is constantly preaching the word of God. And Paul was only able to experience the promise of God from the, the vision because he was, he was obeying the instruction that God had given him. So he's going th forward, he's acting in faith, he's believing, though it wasn't always seen and, and visible, he's believing, he remained there, he remained at his place, he remained faithful, he taught the word. And, you know, sometimes we think, well, I'm obeying God, so everything's going to go smoothly, right? No, you start obeying God, and you're going to find out the seas get choppy really quick. You say, so why should I do that? Because it is always right to obey God, and it is always the blessed way of living. And so the seas do get choppy. Verse number 12, and when Galilee was deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection. I don't like the, on the sound of insurrection, okay? It, it just has a, a nasty tone to it, but I want you to notice the, the insurrection of the religious. You know what's interesting to me? Is how many times our persecution comes from those that are religious. They, they think they know God. And in reality, the religious are so very arrogant and prideful. Why? Because they think it is their own goodness that will get them to gain favor with God. So their lives are seeping, dripping with arrogance. And as they come into conflict with you, they're constantly trying to strive against you. And so here's, here's what's going on. They're refusing to receive Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They are making insurrection against Paul, specifically against him. And they rise up and they accuse him of this. You are teaching this faith, this doctrine, illegally. Now, 
most likely they're, they're referring back to the Mosaic Law, and so they're saying it is in contradiction to the, the Mosaic Law. But there's also another side of this because the religious Jews, the religious Jews liked at times when it was convenient, blended or linked arms with the Roman, the Roman government so as to accomplish their purposes. By the way, religion is shifty. You mark it down today, the, the main religions of our, of our world will join with government to persecute true Christians. Whether it's Islam or whether it's Catholicism, it will again join a, a, a against true Christianity to biblical Christianity. And I see the markings of that all over our, our own um, our, all over our own country, but around the world. It will happen. And one of the ways they're going to do it now, especially in this time, is we are following all the protocols. We are, we are and they, they blend right in with the government. And so here's, here's what happens. They blend in with the government here. And there was a law in the Roman law books that there was to be no new religions taught. And so it was likely that the, these religious Jews thought, hey, we really got Paul. Not only is he violating our law, but he's also violating the Roman law. We can bring this to, uh, we can bring this to Galileo. And so they bring him to the judgment seat, the Bema seat, okay? So this is a place where it's an actual place. There it is. It's an actual place where legal judgments would be given. Verdicts would be, um, would be, uh, would be read. And, and it happened here at this, this, the Bema seat there in in Corinth by the way you and I Jesus says will all stand before the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ that judgment is for believers we will stand there to receive our reward before um, before the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, we want to receive our rewards as faithful servants not as foolish servants and so uh, he's there at this literal place and he is going he's being accused by them and uh, and Satan I just want to underscore this Satan still works today uh, through the court systems of uh, the court. We want justice, do we not, in America? We want justice to rule. We want right to be ruled as right and wrong to be ruled as wrong. And, uh, you know, we've had a lot of national cases that even now, there's a lot, there's a lot around justice. Uh, one of the signals of a nation turning away from God is when right is called right, or right is called wrong, and wrong is called right. And so it's important that justice, justice happens, and justice can only come from God. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He's the one. And so as, as we turn further away from the Lord as a nation and as a people, it just it happens that justice does not flow as it ought to. And so that's something that we can, we can pray about and, and stand for and, and so on. But here, here we have Satan using the court system there to, to work behind the scenes to thwart the message and the furtherance of the gospel. Don't be, don't, don't, don't be surprised when we see more cases in our country as our country is turning from God, more cases in court that are thwarting the gospel, that are, that are hindering, frustrating the gospel. It just it happened in the early church. It'll happen now, and God will give grace through those times, and we need to stay, uh, stay faithful to him. Even right now, it's happening up in, in Canada. It is happening in different places. The churches out in California had it, had it going on. By the way, God, God can win the victory, and he has. Uh, even out in California, he's won some great victories, and, uh, and so that's a blessing. But this is what was going on. And so Galileo was, uh, was a very important individual, um, and he was a Roman proconsul. He was governor of Achaia, as is mentioned. But uh, what he would say was also going to become legal precedent. 
So this was a very important case. You know, sometimes we hear, this case is going to the Supreme Court. The ruling, whatever happens up there, this is going to be a very important ruling. Well, this is what's going on here. This is going to be a very important ruling in Corinth for Christianity. And Paul is on trial there, um, kind of by a, a gang bringing them in. But he, um, they expected to, for the court to side with them as the religious Jews. And only God, God was going to be working. And I just want us to realize this. There's a real spiritual battle happening, even in the affairs of men, even in the affairs of courts and court cases and legalities. There's a real spiritual battle. We are not wrestling against fresh, flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in high places. And so God has told us that, and we need not be surprised by that. So Paul is, is, is facing this insurrection from the religious, but notice where the protection, the promise of God is fulfilled through the godless. And I want you to notice that, because Galileo was not a godly man. Not at all. He didn't care about these things. He was a carnal, wicked man who was in a high place of authority. And so in verse number 14, Paul is about ready to speak, and then Galileo pipes in and, and, and says, if, if the matter was of wrong or wicked lewdness, if it was an unjust act or if it was a crime, I would speak. But this is just a law dealing with your semantics and your religion. Galileo likely had the perspective that Christianity and, uh, and the Jewish faith were two things just with a little bit of differences. Uh, that's not the case, right? Jesus Christ has always been the way for, for people to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, or to come to the Father, uh, either before Jesus Christ came to look forward to the promised Messiah or after to look back to the promised Messiah. But all, all salvation has always been by faith through grace. Romans 4 talks to us about that with, with, with Abraham. So he says, if, if, if this was of, of a crime, I would deal with it. But really, it's not, so you guys look to it. So his verdict was, his verdict basically was, I'm not going to judge this situation. This is a matter for you. And the, the verdict set a precedent. And really what happened that day, Galileo did not rule on, on Christianity. Uh, he allowed Christianity to stand. And what, what happened is, is, is kind of a precedent that was set there of Rome recognizing Christianity as a religion, not as a new thing, but as, as, a, as, a, as a faith, as a way. And so it was a pretty interesting case uh, that was heard on that day and was, uh, was, was somewhat settled on that, on that day there in Corinth. But then did you notice what happens? The Greeks are all mad. There's been a pretty peaceable relationship between the Greeks and the Jews there in Corinth, but not now. They're all mad. They're all mad at the upset and all this turmoil that's going on. They take Sosthenes, the new leader of the, of the synagogue, and they beat him, violently beat him, right in front of the judgment seat. And Galileo's looking on at this situation and goes, and the Bible narrates for us, he cared for none of these things. Big deal. Big deal. He was godless, yet God used the godless to protect Paul in that scenario and allow the gospel to continue forward. And friends, we have to re realize we might not know where the protection of God will come, but God, when he says, no man's going to set on thee to hurt thee, God means what he says. And we must believe God and go forward in faith, taking the fresh vision that God has given us to say, I believe God, even if it isn't readily apparent to me, I believe God, I'm going forward. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. He embraced the vision that God had given him. He went forward even though it brought on more turmoil and experienced the promises of God. You will not experience the promises of God waiting for God to, hey, 
when are you going to make your promise good? No, you'll experience the promises of God as you're moving forward in what he instructed you to do. You'll experience the faith and the grace to witness as you take the step of faith. As you say, God, I will honor you in this moment. And you'll walk away from that scenario and say, wow, God stepped in. You will experience the promises of God as you take the stand within your family. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Say, so, well, if I do that, if I do that, I'll drive my kids away. You will experience the promises of God as you obey God. And Paul did that. That was Paul's experience, and it can be our experience too. And so I encourage you in this Christmas season as we go through the, any time of year, but as we face this Christmas season, friends, would you embrace the fresh vision from God, that fresh realization God has a plan. You and I speak up. God has promised his presence. Daddy is here. Uh, God has a perspective. I have many people that I want to bring to me. Many people that I want to bring to me. And we can be a part of that. 2 Peter 3 and verse number 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. He's not reneging on his promise, but is long-suffering to usward and not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And that's our God. And I just urge you today, embrace the fresh vision from God, and let's go forward according to his instructions, and we'll see his promises fulfilled in our lives. Absolutely guaranteed, because God never fails, and I'm thankful for that.